Hi, this is Ibadi X, and welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. Well, recently I've completed my, my fourth book, and this new one is called Adobe Masterclass, Photoshop-inspiring artwork and tutorials by established and emerging artists. And I had the opportunity to gather about 30 different photographers from all over the world into this book, which showcases a diverse group of talents and the different ways by which they use Photoshop to create really distinctive and interesting photographs. And today's guest, Dean West, is one of the photographers that I included in that book. I had to go through a lot of different websites and books and magazines searching for photographers, and Dean is one of those people who really stood out for me, because when I looked at his pictures, they were so full of story and narrative. There was a depth to their image that moved beyond simply being a beautiful photograph to look at. There was something there that really drew me in, which is something that I always am looking for in photographs. And his work really speaks to that. And when you have a chance to visit his website and you see the extensive body of work that he's created, I think you'll be as impressed as I was. So when I had the opportunity to interview him for the show, I knew that this would not only be a really interesting conversation for me, but also for you as well. And I really hope you enjoy our conversation with Dean West. This episode of The Candid Frame is sponsored by Adobe Lightroom 4. Perfect your photography from shoot to finish with Adobe Photoshop Lightroom 4 software. 2013 is the harbinger of a lot of good things, a lot of new beginnings, especially when it comes to your photography. And if you haven't had the chance of discovering how Lightroom 4 can make all the difference in your photography right now is the perfect opportunity to do so. You can download the full version of Lightroom 4. There's a link on the website to do just that. And you can discover how you can better organize your images, how you can bring out the quality of those digital files and share them either online or in a book form. 2013 should be the year that you take your photography to the next level and Adobe Lightroom 4 will take you there. Try it out today and discover how Adobe Lightroom 4 can make all the difference in your photography. Dean, welcome to the Candid Frame. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. How are things up, uh, can up Canada way? Well, they're a little chilly, as, uh, as they usually are in January, uh, but it's not so bad. It's been quite moderate, and uh, it seems to be cold down in the U.S. at the moment. I just left Little Rock, and we had to had some serious issues getting out of the, uh, the city with ice and everything. Yeah, it's been unusually cold down here in Southern California, but uh, it'll warm up soon enough, thank goodness. <laughs> Well, you guys get it nice down there, so I don't want to hear any complaints. Oh, no, no, no. That's, that's <laughs> definitely a champagne problem down here. Definitely. Well, I, I, got, I discovered your work as a result of doing the research for this book that I, that I recently did. And, and I have to tell you, I, as part of the, the research for that, I looked at thousands of photographers and just went through just so many websites. And, and your images really stood out for me almost immediately. And one of the things that that really called to me and that really resonated for me with a lot of the people that I chose for the book were photographers who really had a sense of narrative and story. And all of your images possess that for me. And I thought we'd start off 
talking about that because though the images are, are, are really beautiful as just individual photographs, there's a depth of them that I think is rooted in that idea of narrative and story. And, uh, and I'd like to hear, you know, how, how do you see that playing a role in the photographs that you make? Well, obviously a narrative or, or a story is the most important part of any image when, uh, when you're telling something to, to an audience. And I, I think it kind of, as far as an influence on my work, it goes back to, you know, uh, not just doing a photography course back in school, but going to an art college, learning about art history and understanding the importance of concept and narrative and, and really, you know, implementing those throughout the, throughout the works. Uh, I think as any photographer who's trying to convey a sense of emotion or, or some kind of narrative, like there's always got to be some kind of justification before even starting the project, whether it's a personal implication to do something or whether you're trying to convey a, a concept for an agency or, or a client, you know, obviously the narrative uh, has to be there front and present before you even begin. And I generally do quite a lot of research uh, before I even start a project. Uh, it could be reading the newspaper right through to uh, you know, going online or reading books, uh, a- anything before it even comes out. And I like to try and get things really strong in my head before I even start production on a process. So uh, it's good to know that there is that sense of narrative that comes through the images. And to be honest, I don't think I'd be happy putting something out there if it didn't feel like it encouraged uh, the audience to ask questions and want to kind of look through the image a little more. Yeah, you've talked about in interviews that I've read previously about the importance of mythology for you. <laughs> and is that something that was of interest to you as, as a child or was that something that you, that was sort of born as a result of your studies? Well, mythology is definitely something that uh, has interested me for a little while. Uh, I think the one thing that I really enjoy about it is you know, if we go back and try and read through the stories of mythology, it's really just uh, imagination. It's the ability to convey a story or a narrative without any any boundaries at all. And that's kind of like the way I like to approach my work as well is that, you know, we, we try and make the impossible possible and there's just no boundaries to anything that we can do if we put our mind to it. So mythology is something that I've always, you know, enjoyed reading because it's such a great story and I feel like that's what we should be looking for when we're trying to create photographs. So it's definitely important uh, from that basis, but it's definitely not something that I'm a master in or, or could tell a lecture to mm-hmm. a large audience about mythology. Well, the word hyperreality has been used to describe your work a lot. And, you know, there are always debates in terms of what, what is a real photograph with many, some, some people thinking that it's exactly what you produce in the camera, while others see it as the photographs that you create in a camera are just sort of the raw material from which you you work with and it seems like you sort of favor favor the latter but what what is it about the ability to really sort of expand beyond the literal that makes photography really interesting and and, and, and a challenge for you well the term kind of hyper reality is something that's been coined by other other writers uh, and it seems to be kind of be a, a phrase that's sticking 
Uh, I think it just has uh, it's a it's a new it's a new term that's starting to come out because of the effect that digital technology has had on our ability to create images. Uh, no longer are we you know restricted to you know capturing just in the camera. We can shoot thousands of images of different subjects that can all be composited into the one frame. And I think it's just a case of technology starting to really kind of show its presence uh, in in new kind of imagery. But I, I myself have definitely not coined that term. Mm. Um, I, I definitely appreciate the term and I like the term because my photography is definitely not uh, traditional photography. In fact, a lot of people even ask me if they think that I'm even a photographer. And I do say that because I do have an advertising background and I do photography uh, on a daily basis. But when it comes to creating some of my works, especially my artwork, you know, I usually just say that I'm an artist and that I use photography as the medium to get to the final result. Let's let's talk about one of the images. One of the images that's, that that uh, stood out for me was the one with the uh, the the sea monster in the, and the crew members in the sub combating it. Yep. Uh, why don't you describe that image? I'll have a, a link on the on the website to refer to it. But uh, if you could describe the image and tell us about the whole concept leading up to it. Sure. So this concept is a uh, an idea that came together for an agency here in Toronto, Canada named Jam3. And they had come to me and commissioned me to produce a series of photographs of their team going about their daily kind of uh, their daily roles in the office. This is an agency that designs websites uh, for, for, for their jobs. And they basically just came to me and said, look, we want to do a staff portrait but we want you to do whatever you want, whatever you feel is appropriate for doing this. So just to explain the image, it is a series of four individuals. There's three males and one female, and they're in this congested kind of small, colorful, like, control room. Uh, One of the guys is a janitor, and he's literally fighting off a giant red octopus tentacle that is kind of splashing into the the bottom left corner of the frame. You can kind of see... Uh, the hint of the actual octopus, which is just peeking through the little blue porthole down the end of the frame. And it's kind of like the, the whole idea was uh, these, these guys were the developers in the firm. And there's a producer who's the captain of the ship. She's female. And she's kind of there monitoring the guys who are in the control room, keeping things going. But it was supposed to really kind of convey a sense of chaos, a sense of craziness that these guys are constantly kind of trying to get their work done. But there are all these arms and tentacles that are trying to come in and change everything and make make more work for them. So I think it was quite successful in kind of, you know, conveying that sense of chaos um, it was, it's a great story as into how I kind of shot it. And if you want, I can kind of go into detail about how we actually produced that. Would you like that? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Please. Cool. So once we kind of, kind of, we grabbed the idea as to what we wanted to do with this, uh, with this concept, um, it basically came down to finding the right location in which I found this fantastic decommissioned ship called the HMCS Hyder, which is a Canadian military ship. And basically, I went there. I photographed the ship from all angles, from all from 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 all places surrounding the whole place, and ma- basically made an image out of those the stock from that ship. Luckily for me, the ship's control room actually has ninety percent of exactly what's in this image, and it actually has this amazing vintage retro red and white kind of tiled colored floor it's it's really amazing that that was actually man I, I really love how images develop when you find the right location and how they can kind of change 
based on just the real location. So that's, you know, that actually helped with bringing in the fact that we shot the octopuses, which are also red. Uh, all the talent was shot in the studio. Uh, there's a lot of dials and stuff that are on the back wall and around the ceiling that were all shot from different parts of the ship. But generally, the control room is very similar to what we see. Uh, the, te- the tentacles were actually very difficult to, to find. Uh, and I drove many miles all across Toronto and the surrounding suburbs trying to find the right kind of sea franchise that brought in this amount of seafood that I could buy the, the octopus. And I upset a lot of family members while trialing with the octopuses. You know, sometimes we, I would go and buy tentacles and then they'd be, they'd be raw. So I would kind of partially cook them. So that would become a little bit tense and change color a little bit. And the smell was disgusting. Like the place just reeked. Uh, and then I found this one uh, fish market that actually sold these really, really large Pacific red octopus tentacles. And, and once I saw those, I knew that was going to be it. So they were shot in the studio, uh, you know, just in, in the right angle so that we're just using fishing line and constructing them so that they fitted exactly into the places that what they were going to. Uh, you know, water splashes were also shot separately so we could have a sense that the octopus had really taken control of this, of this, uh, this vessel. Uh, and the guys, even though they're, they're uh, under pressure from the octopus, they're still getting their work done, which was kind of great to show that these developers, even though there's all these hands trying to change what they do, they were still getting the job done. And I really love, there's one guy there uh, just kind of looking up to the tentacle and he just looks so, like, he's not in shock, but he's just like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, very, very happy with that image. And then the agency was stoked with that. And uh, I think it turned out to be really great. Well, it's not your vanilla style uh, group shot of uh, a bunch of coworkers. No, exactly. And, and that's why the agency was so happy. And, and this agency is really, really pushing the boundaries. And I think they were really great uh, about letting me do what I what like just giving me that bit of freedom to create something without the boundaries um they they kind of entrusted me to to do what I had to do based on you know seeing my imagery before so uh I'm happy that they were as happy as they were did you you mentioned you were hunting for 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 the location but I imagine you probably did some rough sketches even before you found the the, the location and when you're when you're working from a concept and an idea in your head and you're having to bring all these sort of disparate elements together for a photograph, how much uh, of a change or a transformation happens from what you actually put down on paper to the final final result? Is there um is there a huge difference or do you try to adhere pretty much to what you your original concept? Uh, it generally can it, it can do it can go both ways, just depending on the location. So, you know, I draft some very basic sketches every now and then, but it's generally uh, a basic nebulous concept, and I can easily just describe it. Like even meeting with the agency, I described, you know, that I wanted to create a congested environment where there was an octopus coming in. And uh, I didn't think I even did a sketch for this image once I conveyed the idea to the, to the guys that they were they were in for it. But it does it can change quite a lot. And I'm totally I, I adapt with that process. I like the process of you know going with the flow. And even though you have an original idea, you can do your best to search for that. But it depends on the locations. You know, like the guys that I shot for this image, who are actually the workers, can also change the mood of the image as well. So. 
I think you're constantly dealing with change and it's just about adapting to those elements and trying to get it as close as you possibly can to your original vision. Um, but generally, I find if you go with the flow and you make the, the changes and you adapt with it along the way, you can even improve from the original idea. Like, as I said, just with that control room coming across this location to have that floor, you know, I would never have expected that to be part of the image. But yet now I feel it's just so poignant in the image and it just, it really ties everything together. So I feel like the image, the final product of this image is probably turned out better than what I originally envisioned. Besides the the monster, what do you think, you know, you know, in finding the, the, the squid or the octopus or whatever you use for that uh, and, and the challenges of, of making that work, what do you think was probably the, the bigger challenge in terms of pulling this off? Uh, I guess kind of creating the scene um, with, with, with the actual ship, you know, making sure that like this is actually a military ship. So it wasn't actually a submarine. And, you know, I was pulling references from the guys from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is a fantastic movie. And we even styled the janitor for t- to match that theme as well, because a lot of the images from the from the guys I did, I did kind of pull some artistic references as well so that it would become not only kind of unique for them, but also uh, other people could kind of resonate with the image as well, which I think is very important. Um, but generally, the the compositing of the room was quite difficult, you know, just bringing all the elements together to try and make it as congested as possible. And if you do reference, if you do look up submarines, you'll probably see that they are a lot smaller than that, these control rooms. So there is a bit of a creative license that's been used to create this scene. So you really are becoming, when you do it like this, you're almost like an architect as well because you're really trying to create a newly designed space based on the elements that you've already shot. Well, you were born in, in Australia and I read that you were uh, you grew up like five, five miles away from a, a major mining community there, but that you were introduced to photography as a result of a, a fairly large darkroom space that was available to you. Uh, Tell us about, you know, life down there and how you got introduced to this facility and where your interest in photography was born. Well, my interest in photography actually came up a little bit earlier than that. And it's kind of a cheesy story where like a young kid, I was seven years old and, you know, I saw these little Kodak cameras coming out on the market and basically just begged my mother uh, to get me a camera for Christmas. And, you know, I got a little Kodak 35 millimeter camera for Christmas and, I think we went on a vacation that first year and just the uh, the first roll of film, I just, there was a couple of shots on there that really kind of made my family go, wait, this is really good. Like this, the, you actually did a reasonable job for a seven-year-old <laughs> kid. And I just enjoyed the process of like looking through that, that little kind of viewfinder. Um, you know, it's such a monocular vision. I enjoyed that. And from there on, I always just kind of had a, a passion for it, as any kid kind of finds in many different hobbies. But it was actually great for me. I, I grew up in a small country town. It was a mining town called Gunnada. Sounds like Canada. It also sounds like some kind of disease. <laughs> um, but it's a mining town. And uh, luckily for me, the, the high school that I went to had one of the largest dark rooms in, in the state, in the country even. So, you know, the, I was able to take those uh, the courses from – when did I kind of kick back in? It would have been from around around about 12 years old. I started to get back into it. And it was just great to be able to kind of learn on film and start shooting black and white with pinhole cameras, as you do with most school photography courses. And even finishing up high school, I always knew I wanted to do this. And I had already been accepted into a photography college in Newcastle. 
in which I just did a one-year course there just to learn a few more basics. And as soon as I finished there, I took a year off just to kind of see what I wanted to do. And as soon as I took that year off, I knew I wanted to get back into studying the craft and kind of expanding my ability. So I got into the Queensland College of Art, which is a really, really prestigious college in Australia, produces some great artists. And uh, that really kind of changed everything because I, I thought I went to the college just to learn more about the technical aspects of photography. And even through my first year, I, I really just kind of uh, thought to myself, why am I here? There's so much art history. I didn't really want to do this. I just wanted to learn the lighting. And little by little, it just slowly dawned on me how much I was really appreciating learning more about art history and photography history right from the daguerreotypes and tintypes. And it really then kind of resonated with me how much I really did love photography right from the get-go and, and, and everything involved about it. So, you know, it started in this crazy-sized darkroom in this little little high school town. And I always – I was the best in my class and I made sure of that just for the record. <laughs> so I've always wanted to be good at photography. Well, you make an interesting point because I think a lot of people, when they get interested in photography, their, their focus – is primarily on mastering the technical. And, you know, there's always that pursuit. And I think the majority of content, both in books and magazines and in classes, really focuses on that. So you talk about being an awareness of, of having an awareness of heart history helped sort of develop what you wanted to say with your photography. Was, was there a particular series of images that you felt like sort of triggered that, that made you think like, okay, this is really what I want to say, because the pursuit of voice is likely probably one of the biggest challenges that any photographer faces. And your voice is pretty distinctive. Uh, and I suspect that that around that time, there, there might have been an image or a series of images that helped make that happen. Do, am I on point there? Yeah, definitely. And I'll just give a little bit of context before that as well. Even when I was going through art college in my second year, and I was, I was still in that frame set that I still wanted to just learn more about the technicality of photography. And I actually was, I was very lucky in my second year in college, Owen Olaf, who's an amazing Dutch photographer from Amsterdam. He does, and you, you'll probably see some of his work around everywhere. He's really incredible. And he ran a masterclass at the Australian Center for Photography, which he held for eight people across the country. It was a month long, and I got into that class, and that really was a turning point for me as well, because at that point, I was still just focusing on the technical side. And you know, at that time, a lot of photographers were influenced like David LaChapelle, and Owen really kind of re- directed me to to not just focus on the technical but to understand really what he, his important message was was understand what you want to say about photography and that really changed everything for me he was a great influence and after i finished college i i started to kind of develop the ideas for this series called fabricate which is all of the greek and roman mythology appropriations and i put some time into it and there's a first image which is a girl jumping on a trampoline and when that image was produced, it just got such a great response from everybody, including the advertising industry, which we were trying to win work for. But through winning awards and, and uh, win winning me advertising work, and all of a sudden, I was getting requests for people to buy that print. And as soon as I realized at that point that people were interested in my message or my work as an artwork, I have 
really, really put a lot more time, energy, funds all into producing artwork. And that series really coined my original work and it's developed out to six images now and I wish I could do more. I've been asked to do more, uh, but it's a timely process. You know, each image takes two to three months to do and many, many thousands of dollars to produce. And I've been wanting to also develop my style and become more versatile. So, But that series, the Fabricate series, uh, and it's called Fabricate because everything is fabricated, just like the mythology. It's all, there's no boundaries. I had creative realm. I could do whatever I want. And it just kind of really coined who I was as an artist. So I'd have to put that as the, the, the actual series that changed everything. And now I'd like to take the time to thank our other sponsor, Squarespace. If you've been wanting to create a website to showcase your work, but have been intimidated about coding or the complexities of creating and maintaining a website, then Squarespace has the answer for you because Squarespace has this great product, Squarespace 6. It's a do-it-yourself website builder that helps you to make a website or a blog in just a few minutes. Squarespace handles all the hosting, gives you a free domain name, and has 24-hour customer support. Everything on the platform is drag and drop, so it's incredibly easy to use. For example, you can drag pictures straight from your desktop and create custom layouts with multiple columns and text that wraps perfectly around your images and videos. The templates are clean and crisp. It puts the focus where it should be on your photography. Additionally, you can switch to a different template at any time. One more thing that's really special about Squarespace is that your images will look great on any device because the website you create will scale automatically to fit perfectly on an iPad, an iPhone, a computer, or any other device. Import content from your blogs and push your content right back out to your social networks. Go to squarespace.com forward slash candidframe to start a free trial. No credit card is required. When you're ready to purchase, click enter an offer code below the pricing at checkout and enter the offer code CANDIDFRAME1 to get a 10% discount. That's squarespace.com forward slash CANDIDFRAME. Offer code CANDIDFRAME1. One word, CANDIDFRAME1. You're working commercially, you're doing stuff for clients and some of the work that you're doing, particularly the fine artwork, you're doing on your own. And that balance between doing work that actually pays the bills and creating images that you're doing primarily for yourself can be a real struggle for photographers in terms of, you know, the time that they have to make a living as opposed to the time that they can dedicate to personal work. So how does that work out for you? Because you're getting a lot of notoriety, you're getting a lot of opportunities, but how do you not lose sight of the work that you need to create for your, for yourself? Well, I'll be honest, in the last couple of years and and probably since the recession hit in 2009, where there was, things did slow down and it got a lot harder to get the jobs. Like I think in 2007, 2008 in Australia, we couldn't lose a job. No matter what quote we put out, we just couldn't lose a job. And uh, when when the recession hit, it really kind of hit home like this is a very volatile industry and we've got to adapt. So in the time that it's quiet, I really put as much energy and funds into developing my artwork. And we have collectors, I have collectors all around the world now. So I've been lucky to be able to produce works knowing that funds will come for that image as soon as it's produced because I have people that are waiting for specific pieces. So I'm kind of lucky in that sense. But my bread and butter really is, you know, commercial work. And I still do basic jobs right through to quoting on bigger jobs for the agencies. And it really having that balance to kind of 
stay alive uh, has been really crucial for me. Everybody's different. Um, you know, there are great advertising photographers who just do advertising and that's fantastic. Um, you kind of just need to become yourself and somehow support yourself along the way. But having that commercial background and, you know, being able to use those funds to produce my artwork, I, I, I literally put every single dime I make back into my work and hope that one day that I'll have a body of work that people will enjoy to put on their walls and pay a lot more money for. <laughs> yeah. Well, like you've mentioned before in a couple of the images, they're, they're pretty labor intensive, so they're not something you can create overnight. So there's there's a commitment of time that you have to make once you get into an image. So considering all the demands that you have on yourself, how do you decide which ones you're really going to commit, you know, weeks or months to? And are there times when you you have to decide that, you know, this isn't working, I got to let it go to move on to something else? Well, that's what I did with the Fabricate series. I've kind of reached that point where I want to develop new work, that stuff that I'm more passionate about now because you constantly adapt and you constantly change as a photographer and as a person as you grow. So that was great for its time, but I've moved on from that. Um, it's a good question. And there's, the, there's, very, there's very rarely a time where I commit to an idea and then back out of it. Um, I always find myself just pushing myself and saying, no, Dan, you started this, you can make it work. Like, I totally believe that by just pushing through those periods where you don't think it's working just to make it work. Um, and I don't think I have come up with a concept, started the production, and then bailed on it. So that's encouraging. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a commitment. Um, and, and that's why I was emphasizing earlier that the amount of research and, and production that goes into actually the work before it even begins production. So understanding to myself, you know, uh, clearly what I'm hoping to, to, to produce, you know, understanding what it's about before beginning any of the production. And I find that's a key process because otherwise you can start a process, you can waste a lot of money and you just, you just ask yourself, why did I do this? And I think that's a question we all need to ask ourselves is just why? Like why, why do we even do the things that we do and is it a smart decision to begin that? Well, you've been doing an interesting series in collaboration with another Another artist, uh, Nathan Sawaya. Nathan Sawaya. And uh, in which you incorporate constructions he's made with Legos into your photographs. And I have to admit that I didn't immediately pick up on that in some of the, the images. But then on closer inspection, I started seeing this. And then further research, I found out what this was about. Uh, tell us about this co collaboration, how it came about, and, and why you decided to collaborate in, in, in this really interesting way. Yeah, it's, uh, it, I started to kind of draft up some, some basic ideas as to a new body of work I wanted to start. And there's a lot of similarities between, you know, digital photography, the pixel construction, and Lego itself, like the traditional Lego is kind of edgy and blocky and almost brick by brick as well. There's a lot of similarities in the technology. So I started kind of drafting up some really basic ideas where I wanted to incorporate the sculpture into my works. And I actually was in Australia, it was 2009, and I bought uh, a box of grey Lego bricks. I don't know why I just bought grey, but I assumed it was just going to be grey and I could have changed the colours or something. And it was like $500 and Lego is expensive, like it's not even a big box. And I had it sent to me in Australia and I was looking for some ideas about what I was going to do. And I said to my girlfriend at the time, I said, I really want to create Lego like this guy. 
And she, she, she really kind of was right on the money there. So a couple of weeks later, I contacted Nathan in New York and sent him like a little package as to what my, what my ideas were at the time. And he basically just wrote back and said, I like it when you come into New York. And I'm sure he said that because, you know, I'm in Australia, it's a 21-hour flight and he was just thinking, you know, is this guy for real? Even though I like it, I'm going to see how it really is. I'm going to test him to see if he wants to fly to New York to make this happen. Two weeks later, I was in New York speaking with Nathan in his studio and right there from the get-go, we just agreed that we both believed in creating something unique. We both wanted to collaborate. We both said we were just going to commit whatever we needed to do to make this happen. So... I moved to North America. I actually moved to Toronto uh, with my girlfriend, who's Canadian, and we started working on this project in September th- 2009. Uh, we started by pulling a bunch of references that we thought were appropriate before we started. So there's a lot of influences on the American picture postcard. Uh, classic American postcards were kind of black and white, and they were kind of hand-colored, and they had these beautiful, like, pale yellows and warm greens and it was like a it was really lovely blue skies and we kind of knew that that was a color palette we wanted to play with you know we were influenced by painters like Edward Hopper who is kind of known for his paintings that are like geometrically designed and there are these isolated individuals surrounded by these kind of isolated environments it's kind of desolate and lovely uh, and very emotionally charged as well Uh, we kind of even pulled references from the impressionism movement where the Impressionists did this really great thing where they used like red pigments as a focal point in their images surrounded by complementary colors. And you'll see that happen not through all of the images, but with some of them specifically. There's a guy standing in the rain with a red umbrella. Uh, there's a girl standing underneath a theater on him. She's in a red dress. And there's a red towel. Like a, you see it coming together. So in 2009, we just started traveling across America. We met in L.A., and we kind of traveled out to this little place called Amboy, California, where we found this really desolate, lovely hotel and really just kind of had spent a lot of time getting to know each other about understanding each other's process. And Nathan's really amazing what he does. He, he's known for doing uh, these kind of really large format, large scale human figures where there's a guy like ripping his chest open and the bricks have fallen out. It's really quite amazing. And that's really why I wanted to contact him because he was doing stuff with the traditional brick that nobody had ever done before. But we wanted to kind of reverse that and get him away from that. And we ended up getting him to create basically like everyday objects, you know, buckets and clouds and towels and everything. And I think he really appreciated that that change of environment as well and really enjoyed collaborating with somebody who he felt was going to push him as well. But yeah, we traveled across America. We pulled a huge database of imagery that we felt was great for us to use. We then... You know, it, it, it took two, three years to produce. And the whole idea of the, the concept was really just to create a, a, an emotionally charged series where we have these isolated individuals in these moments of reflection. You know, they're asking themselves, you know, how did I end up here? And we've c- totally constructed the imagery right from scratch. You know, it's been built by built, piece by piecing for the Lego, layer by layer for the photography. And that was one of the reasons why we, we titled it In Pieces because the whole project was created in little bit by little bit, as well as the, the, the placement of the characters and, the, and the, the emotion that they're emitting is really at a point in their life where they're, they're at that time and they're thinking, how did I get here? You know, mm. what am I doing? And we really wanted... You know, we've had some other people who have seen the show and they're just like, 
when they were looking at the images, they, they felt that. And they also were like, had a moment where they thought about where they were in life. And it was really just about constructing identity throughout the images. And it was a fun process to do. It was really uh, great to collaborate with Nathan and push myself and work with color palettes that I haven't worked before. And it was great. It's, it's been such a, a well-received series. Yeah, You mentioned that this work called on Nathan to work in a very different way than he was used to. And, and it was a challenge for him to do so. So how was it a, a challenge for, for you to work in collaboration with someone else when for, for the most part, you're very used to working by yourself when it comes to your own fine artwork? Well, that's the great thing about collaboration is you have to challenge yourself. You got to try and convey your ideas a little more clearly so that everybody can understand it. You can't just be locked in your own studio and in your own mind, making things happen your own way. Uh, that was really great. I really enjoyed collaborating with Nathan. It pushed me. It was very challenging in the, in the early stages to incorporate the Lego because I'm so used to photographing real objects in the, in the right lighting, the right perspective, dropping them in and knowing that they work. So I remember the first image that we did, which is this, this girl, she's in a yellow dress. She's standing out in this really, really desolate kind of salt lake environment. There's a house behind and she's just, she's got a hose in her hand and she's, there's nothing to water. She's completely lost. And I remember when we shot the tree, uh, which is a Lego tree that is placed over that image, which is actually mimicked off an Australian gum tree. There's also an Australian uh, cockatoo in the, in the tree. But I remember that it was the first image we did and... I thought to myself as I put it in, I was like, this is not working. And it was just because I'd never seen it before. I'd never seen it play off like that. And I, I was just like, I remember saying to people like that I was showing to, showing the image to that, you know, the, the tree just doesn't work. If it was a real tree, it would work. And it was, it was, I really had to break my own comfort zone to make that happen. And once I kind of got used to the image and I lo- looked into it more and started to do print tests as well, because on the screen, as you said, it's very actually hard to see some of the Legos. Mm-hmm. And that was the idea. We really wanted the crossover between people thinking, is that an image or is it just pixelated? And when you see the large format prints, you can clearly see that it's an, a sculpture object that's been built into the scene. And it all just goes back to re-emphasizing how we build our identity, how we build our lives for ourselves, and how we, you know, how do we end up where we do. And, uh, you know, it's getting a, a great response to the series, and it's it's just been so great right from the beginning. It's been very fun to, to create with Nathan as well. Well, you really know that you're doing something different when you have that moment where you think, oh, this isn't working. Oh, yeah. yeah like really? that's, and it's a challenging point because you have to then really go back to the drawing board and ask, you know, why are you doing this? Well, what is the point of doing this? If it, If it strikes you as kind of unusual or it's not working, you've got to really like – ask yourself all those questions as, as to why this does work. Uh, and if it doesn't work, then you've got to make your changes. But what, even though it didn't really resonate with me when I first put it in, I was like, I don't think this is exactly what we're looking for. But when I went back to the drawing board, I spoke with Nathan, we talked about what our concept was about and how over the course of the series, it would become uh, more prominent, the theme throughout the works as well. And it works now and people seem to enjoy the, the project, which is exactly what we'd hoped for. And I am very proud of the project. So it all worked out in the end. I think that that's an important point to emphasize because I think that that really 
sort of differentiates those who are really true artists and people who aspire to. Because when that moment comes, it's rife with self-doubt in terms of not only your technical ability, but just whether or not you are at a level where, they, where you can actually pull it off. And it, it really, that, that sense of self-evaluation is important, but it's also important not to let those sort of negative voices those little gremlins that lie in our heads keep <laughs> us from seeing it through. Yeah, you may have to reevaluate it. Yes, you may have to come from a different angle, but it, it's not a reason to simply give up and move on to something else. Very much. And you're right on the money there because failure throughout the process is definitely going to happen at some point. And it's how you process that failure and make it you know, make it to the next level. And we are, like when you're producing a work that takes three months to produce, you know, you're going to have a lot of those moments, as you said, where those gremlins are really kind of at your ears barking their orders. And you really do need to push through. You need to kind of revise everything all the time and make sure you're heading in the right direction. Again, going back to asking yourself, why are you doing it? But yeah, you really, you need to believe in yourself as, as you know, as cliched as that sound, you really do believe, need to believe in what you're doing and push through to exactly where you need it to be. Yeah. Well, your images call on you to be in front of a computer working with Photoshop uh, for long periods of time, um, you know, literally months sometimes. So how do you maintain that kind of stamina? Because I know for me, after a while, it's easy to sort of hit a wall after sitting in front of this computer for hours in a day. Um, how do you sort of maintain your enthusiasm to see an image through to completion within a relatively short period of time rather than just sort of drawing it out endlessly, especially when it's, when it's you know, personal work? Oh, for sure. Look, I, I, I really don't spend that much time. Like for most of my images, if all the elements are shot in the right perspective and the correct lighting, and I've got a basic kind of map of, as to how I want everything placed. And, and I, I obviously do have that because I know where they're going to be placed beforehand so I can shoot for that angle. And really for most of the images, I assume it's around about, right now it's about two weeks of work to actually composite all the elements together. So it's not that long. Uh, it can be a little bit longer. And I do sometimes outsource some of the retouching as well, not because I can't do it myself, but because there are actually people that do it better than me. And again, it's that collaborative collaborative process, working with other people, engaging ideas and, and getting different influences throughout the process as well. But I enjoy getting to the retouching phase because it means I've done all the production, I've done all the scouting, I've done all the idea creation, I've pulled the team together, I've shot the locations, we've shot in the studio, everything is there ready to go. And I, I really do enjoy the retouching process. Um, you know, there's a lot of times as well where I, I get to throughout that time to reflect on the image and, and also kind of take it to the next level. You know, look at that image while you're retouching and really see what else could I put into this image or take out of the image to make it a better image. And I, I enjoy the reflective process of being in front of the image for that long. It becomes quite intimate, I guess, because you really do spend some quality time, you know, really kind of bringing that image to, to life. And it really doesn't come to life until the very last stages. Uh, but I enjoy the process very much. So when you're working with your commercial clients, I think a lot of them are probably coming to you because they see the work on, on their website and they're really inspired by what they see and they are interested in terms of what you can bring to the, to the table. Uh, but talk, talk me about 
is it at this point something that they see what you're doing and they're saying, you want, we want you to do this for us and they sort of give you complete license to do it or how, or what role does the ability to be able to communicate your vision to them and, and may to you play in being able to deliver a product that they're happy with so that you can actually get paid for the work? Yeah, I get a variety of inquiries actually and I, I do get a lot of inquiries where an agency will come to me and, they, and they've seen other work that I've done and they, and they basically want you to create something in the same gamut. They're like, we really like what you did for these guys, what can you do for us? For example, there's an agency I'm doing a, a staff portrait of again, which we'll probably go back and reference some of the work I did for Jam 3 with the octopus. Uh, but they came to me and said that they wanted to create a staff portrait of their of their agency. The agency is called Design Lab. And basically, you know, I went back to the drawing board about how I can create a staff portrait of all these guys who also build in, in websites as a living. You know, how do I create an image of the of the staff that kind of not just kind of shows what they do, but that they're having fun doing it and it's kind of really unique. So that image is in production now. It's going to be done in around about three or four weeks and it's crazy. There's 13 people in the shot and they're just doing weird and wonderful things. When it comes to other agency work, I'm still a photographer. Like They appreciate the fact that we have uh, the right lighting skills to get the job done. I think they really enjoy the fact, uh, especially the outbuyers, kind of gelling with me and kind of working out how we can take their their ideas for the agency to the next level. Um, I think they appreciate there's a there's an artistic process involved. But at the end of the day, as a commercial photographer, you know the agency comes to you because they want a certain style, but but, but they have the vision as well. So you also need to be kind of just get the job done. You know, listen to what they say. Help them take it to the next level, but you're you're conforming to you know the agency guidelines as well because they have a strict client that they've got to get a specific message out for. So, you know, I'm getting a variety of different quests right now, but I very much enjoy uh, you know when a client comes to me and says, "We really love what you do. Uh, what can you do for us?" What is your what What is the next challenge you really like would like to take on that you haven't already? Because you're producing a a diverse body of work, but is there something that you've been thinking of that you feel like I really would like to take my work in this direction? Not not necessarily a specific image you want to create, but uh, a certain approach or sensibility you'd like to explore. Uh. A certain approach or ability that I'd like to explore. You know, I do get a lot of people asking me, you know, that they feel that the work is quite cinematic and would I be interested in working with film? And I just directed a, a small spot and I really enjoyed that process of, you know, not handling the camera gear, but, uh, but just really kind of controlling the, the direction. Um, I, I kind of really enjoyed... Uh, having a large team around me to do all the technical work and I could focus just on that vision. So I think in the future, I would definitely try and produce uh, some kind of film uh, to kind of back up a lot of my artwork. Uh, so that's kind of something I want to challenge myself with. Uh, with um, You know, it's tricky with the art market as well because they really like to be able to pigeonhole you. Like, what does this guy do? And I like to produce work that I'm interested in learning about. So... You know, with the mythology thing, I really kind of started that because I had an interest and I wanted to learn more about it. Uh, with the, the the Jam 3 exercise, you know, we pulled a lot of artistic references from film like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and painting of Washington crossing the Delaware. So, I got to learn more about those as well. So, I don't know. It's really hard for me to say how I want to stretch my ability. I definitely think 
working in film is definitely something that's going to come up sooner or later. And there's a few little things we're working on, but I really just want to create a large body of work. I want each work to be versatile and kind of break the mold of being pigeonholed in, in, into what these guys do. And I'm sure over time they will be themes that become present. Um, I'm actually planning a big trip right now back to my homeland uh, to produce a series across Australia. So I'm really right now spending a lot of time reading, uh, watching a lot of movies about what I what, heading into the direction I want to do. So I'm really excited about learning about my own country now. Well, my last question is that I ask each guest to recommend or suggest another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Well, I'm sure everyone would expect me to kind of go with, uh, you know, the photographers, the art photographers, the advertising photographers that I've been influenced over time. But I just bought three books from uh, Andreas Gursky. Who is who just sold a print for four point three million dollars? It is the highest uh, valued print that's ever been auctioned, and I just I really enjoy looking through his books. There's so much consistency. He basically is known for creating these monumental images of banality, and I really enjoy this. Like it's it doesn't even it's not even close to the feel or look of my work. Uh, but I would encourage everybody to go through and, and just look through Andreas's work from the start to the finish. It's an enjoyable story. Uh, he talks about the globalization and commodity of the world. And it's just amazing the consistency that he's had throughout his whole body of work. And, and to see it in the flesh at that size, it's really massive. Um, I would encourage everyone to check out Andreas Gursky if they haven't seen his work before. And where can people go to find out more about you and your work? Yep, just go to the website. It's deanwest.com. And if you wanted to have more of a social media sense from the website, you'll see there's a Facebook page. Uh, there's a Twitter page, which, is, which I'm not that active on, but the Facebook page we are. Uh, and they're the best things to do. Well, thank you, Dean, for, for taking the time this morning and for, for including your work in, in, in the book. I uh, really appreciate that. Thank you very much. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibadian X, and this is... The Candid Frame.